The last line of that reading that I just had said that God's intention by revealing the gospel of salvation for Gentiles in the life of Paul was so that through the church, his mystery and manifold wisdom might be revealed to the whole world. That means through us, church, we would be heralds of a message of salvation for all people, indiscriminately for what we think are good or bad people, too far gone or not far enough. That's his plan that through the church. And that's really the message of Epiphany, that this salvation is for all. It, it, you may not necessarily just think that when you see wise men in a nativity scene or you think about them at Christmas time, that, that this is about Epiphany. But maybe after tonight you will more so. Matthew, as an apostle in the church that the apostle Paul was talking about, that through the apostles this would be made known, when he wrote the story of Christ's life, was very intentional in how he placed things. So he starts out his, his gospel with a genealogy. And he says, so-and-so begot so-and-so, starts with Abraham, right? Moves all the way down to Jesus. And he shows to the Jews that this is the long-promised Messiah, Savior that they've been waiting for, that's a descendant of Abraham, as was promised. In, you all the world, in your seed, all the uh, families of the world will be blessed. And David, a son of yours, will sit on the throne forever. And he shows the Jews that their Savior has come and that Matthew, a Jew, has gotten to experience Christ and he's proclaiming him to us. By the end of chapter 1, he says he's also not human only. He's also God because he tells the story, doing everything through story. He tells the story that Joseph and Mary were told Joseph's not the dad. And how Joseph struggled, that he wanted to put her away justly, quietly, but ended up that God meets Joseph and says, oh no, it's, it's God's child and she's not been unfaithful. And so by the end of chapter 1, he's born of a virgin and he's God. Emmanuel, God with us. And then chapter 2, coming of the wise men. So Savior of the Gen Jews, God is with us. And then God is also reaching out, even in the birth of his son, non-Jews, one race of people, which in Jewish thought was foreign, even though it shouldn't have been because there are places in Isaiah, there's places in Genesis 12 where he says, in you all the nations will be blessed, your seed will bless all nations. Should have, they should have known. Man, was it a struggle for them to get it. So here's Matthew writing, he knows he's about to die soon, the story of Christ's life, and he writes about the coming of the wise men. And if Luke has written before Matthew, he didn't include it. If Mark has written before Matthew, he didn't include it. And even after him, they just left it there. If they wrote after Matthew, they were all wrote about the same time period, except for John. He wrote much later. Here you have Matthew's account. And there's no other speaking of these men anywhere in the Bible, any reference to them anywhere. So they kind of are like Melchizedek in the Old Testament. They come in, they do their thing, and then they leave. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. It's iconic. So iconic that it's become normal in your thinking. There's the three wise men. There's a picture of them coming to see baby Jesus. And you forget, and I forget, how weird and abnormal it was that they came to see him at all. It was weird. So let's read it. And let's maybe in discovering the weirdness discover the spirituality of it all for us. 
So I'll read it to you in its entirety, and you guys in this booth back there, just try to follow along, but we've got it on the sheet of paper. So, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod the Great, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? He's here. Not going to be born. He's here. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the peoples, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Notice they asked where the king of the Jews was, and Herod said Messiah. So Herod, this is, he, he had every opportunity to be saved. There's no indication that he ever got any of this. But he asked about Messiah. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what was the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, I didn't say it this morning, but I'm going to give you a bonus because some of you saw it, were here and heard it. Don't you think that the Jewish leaders would want to follow the wise men? The guys that Herod asked. unbelief. They've got the Bible verse. They give it to Herod. They have no faith in this Jesus. And they have no interest. Maybe they're afraid of Herod. because He had been on a rampage and recently had killed his wife and two sons to keep them from threatening his dynasty. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Probably secretly because the other people around them would probably say, you need to watch out for that guy. Acting like he wants to worship Jesus. And maybe fake it in private with him. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may, too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Again, another thing you didn't get this morning. The, the, they had seen the star rise up in the sky the first time they had seen it. And they said, that's the sign that the king of the Jews is born. But it didn't, they didn't follow the star from the east all the way to Jerusalem. They just went to Jerusalem where the Jews had their headquarters, their temple. But then suddenly when Herod said, go to Bethlehem, God's going to make sure, the same God that made sure they got out of the east to the, to, and went to Jerusalem, now he's going to make sure they find the exact place. God's being very kind and efficient here. It's a miracle. Okay? It, it stopped over the place where the child was. When they, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route, and they go. Never to be seen in the Bible again. They leave us with a lot of questions. Like, where in the east were they from? Iraq today? Iran? Babylonia as a country is gone. The Medes and Persians are gone. But it's that area of the world. 
they know the Jews had, were expecting a king? We can maybe make ourselves comfortable with an answer there. When the Babylonians, which was in 586, came and hauled off a bunch of Jews, they could, and they, he, they, ran, they ruined and burned the temple. The Jews could no, no longer had a temple to long to go back to. They created, for the first time in their history, houses of worship called gathering places, or no fancy word, synagogue, right? So they gathered people in, in buildings in Babylon. They built them in for that purpose. In the Babylon, they settled there, and the Babylonians allowed that. And then the Medes and Persians took over the world, and they were still there. And then when they came back and resettled in the, in the land of their forefathers, the Holy Land, they built synagogues, kind of like one of those things. That, it worked over there. It works here. So they built them up in Galilee. There's a synagogue, ruins of synagogue in Capernaum. We think it's the one, maybe. It's different levels, you know, that have been ruined, built and ruined and built and ruined that Jesus stood in when he talked about his salvation. I got off. They, they, but these synagogues were places where non-Jews could find Jews in their teaching. Just like we see houses of worship of all kinds of religions right here in Austin. They had all of that in Babylon. And so they knew the Jews were there. And these were men who were inquiring always of different philosophies and theologies. So they had somehow availed themselves of some of the things the Jews said about their coming king. But something's bigger, and we don't know where it comes from, that they would be not just curious about the king, but they would believe that he was someone they wanted to personally worship. They knew something about their need. They had, as wise men, faced the emptiness of their life. They had somehow figured out that this Jesus, this little baby, was going to be their rescuer from their, the, the demise of a, a dead-end life on this planet. So they wanted to come see that king of the Jews that was supposed to rescue all of humanity. They believed they were included. What about the star? Any more questions? There is no passage in our Bible that says a star is going to suddenly appear and then you'll know it's time for him to Remember old Balaam and Balak? Balaam was a prophet. And uh, he was asked to curse God's people. Well, in, every time he opened his mouth, he blessed them. And um, the king of Moab was asking him to do that. And so Balaam, in one of his prophecies, said something about a star, but it was metaphorical about a, a person coming up out of the nation of Israel. Could it be, though, that that's the star reference that the wise men had, had studied and had thought that they should be looking to the skies, astrologers, astronomers, and look for a star? Maybe. Could it be, though, that maybe somewhere else in some pagan writing, God kindly condescended to use other things to get them to come see Jesus because he loved them? So he used passages from the Jewish synagogue, and he used a star that they studied because he spoke in a language they could understand. God certainly is that kind that he's working in the lives of people that are not yet, have not yet darkened the door of the church. You've heard testimonies from people where they're on their long and circuitous route to find Christ, maybe at a church. They, God used a lot of different means. Just listen to Stacy Greer sometime talk about a canoe trip where he was under trapped and drowning and the Holy Spirit lifted him up out of the water and saved him. 
Bible passage there. But I believe it really happened. So God kindly brings these wise men to Jerusalem. But they don't know the whole story because God's writing the story, right? So they come to Jerusalem and find the king. Maybe the king of the Jews would know where the his descendant is born, king of the Jews. Oh, that's anything but the right guy to ask. Herod, he's killing off his kids that he's afraid might be king of the Jews. What a maniac. When they went to Jesus, this is what we learned. We have a lot of unanswered questions, but we have this we, this we know. They had made a journey from a, probably a thousand miles away, a 40-day journey on their own expense and, and protected treasures, and they worshipped Jesus as the ultimate prize in their life. Now, can you say, just, just, just talking about these men, can you say you've ever come close to doing that? That kind of single focus. Remember when Jesus later said, the kingdom of God is like the pearl of great price that a guy's out looking for pearls and riches and he finds this one and he goes and does what? Sells everything he has and then comes and buys this one pearl because his whole life has changed just around that one pearl. That's what the wise men, in essence, were doing. Jesus is the ultimate prize. The closer we get to understanding the finality of our life and the, the predicament we're in because of our sins, we as enlightened people by the story of Christ's life, we are much closer to being fully understanding what the wise men were going to because we learn that Jesus is main thing too I kind of can I tell about Vernon's little comment when he was dancing around the front of the church so Jennifer was preparing by singing what is the world to me for us and, and Vernon we were asking if he wanted to come help his grandpa sing it and Jennifer said it's a beautiful song it's, it's, it, it reminds you that Really, that you love Jesus more than in your cars? He had brought his little matchbox cars. What else did you say? Toys, Toys and cars, whatever. He stopped. Because he was, he was like dancing back and forth. He stopped and goes, but I love my cars and toys. <laughs> and I thought, isn't that the challenge of every human heart? But I love this world, right? So the wise men knew Jesus was everything, and you do too. You actually know much more than the wise men about the story of Christ's life. He is your ultimate prize. The closer we get to the end of our life, the more we're going to say it from a sincere heart. The ultimate prize, our Savior. We're going to live forever. But right now, moving back from that, if we're already redeemed in his, in his saving work, then we have an identity that doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from our own criticism we have of ourselves. It comes from God. We are a child covered by the righteousness of Christ, a child of God who's dearly loved and life is guided by him. And we, are, we have a purpose, and that is to glorify God and to live for service to God and others. And we love doing it because we're at peace. We're taken care of. We're not trying to get our peace out of this world that's passing away. And that makes him the ultimate prize. It also moves us to the second point of the sermon, and that is our devotion to him is unashamed. 
the more and more we are connected to Christ, the more and more we are unashamed. I'm not ashamed of my devotion to Mary. I wear a, a ring, right? I was in the store this week with a woman that was in front of me with a Kansas City Chiefs jersey on. It said number 10. I didn't know Ty Tyreen Hill or whatever his name is. It's a receiver for them, but she told me all about it. I said, you're looking forward to this weekend's game. And by the way, if, any, if you have any shred of football interest, they were down 24 points, Kansas City, and came back and won 51 to 31 today. And they, they, they're, they're some team, right? But they're her team. She said, last week I was, or whatever, a couple weeks ago, I went and watched them play Denver up in Kansas City. It's an Austinite. She went, I'm, I like football, but I'm not traveling all the way there to spend all that money to watch it. That's unashamed devotion to a sport that you love, right? A team that you love. A searching question. Does our devotion to Christ look like that? Can it? Audit? Do we want it to? Unashamed. Our support for gospel ministry, the way we serve, the fact that you're here tonight to hear the word or to sing for us or to run the booth, the money that you give to support Jesus. It's between you and Jesus. It's devotion to Christ, isn't it? The words that you say, the defense you give in, in a public setting for his name, the symbols you might wear, it's devotion. And just real quickly, think about this. There's no church ministry, there's no synagogue and no temple. There's just Jesus and the wise men and their gift between them. You get to see where I'm leading with this? Sometimes in our minds, our devotion to Christ gets confused in our, all of our devotion to the church, even by us called workers. We, can, we, we forget that whatever we're doing here is really between us personally and who? Jesus. I showed up tonight for Jesus, and Jesus wants me to feed his sheep. I didn't show up just for the church or to keep my job. But if I did, well, then it's not really a gift at all. Is it? It's not a spiritual act between Christ and me. And it's the same for every believer. So what I want you to think about is, I'm a, think of yourself as a wise magi. And that everything you do is between you and Jesus, and it's you giving him gold, incense, and myrrh. One commentator commented, it's nowhere in the text, so you don't have to agree with it, but that these three gifts were declaring Christ, the gold that he was a king. The frankincense was used in the sacrifices of thanksgiving for the forgiveness of sins in the temple, that he was God, he was a king, and that he was God who forgives us. And then the myrrh reminds you of what they mixed with the with the wine to make gall when they crucified him on the cross. And the myrrh also that they would wrap over bodies when they buried him. So that he was he had come, like a little baby, that they gave the gift to had come to die. The king, the God, who had come to save us. <coughs> Sorry. Um, I want to close with this. The wise men left. They were warned by God they went a different route. But they had to wonder, if God's having to warn us because King Herod is such a, a, a 
rascal. What's to become of our gifts? What's to become of this little baby? What is, what is, uh, what's to become of the 40-day journey one direction, 40 days back? The rest of their lives they spent over in the east. Then it seemed like a flash in the pan. Maybe it doesn't have any meaning at all. But think about this. The same night they were warned in a dream to go back another route, Joseph was warned in a dream to get out of there and go to Egypt because Herod was going to make a search for the child and have his soldiers kill all the babies, and that's what he did. And so Joseph and Mary got up. They, had, they, they were strangers in Bethlehem of sorts, but man, would they be bigger strangers in Egypt. And it would be harder without connections to get sustaining, life-sustaining income in Egypt. But what did they have with them? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Egypt's a trading place. So they can trade for lots of things for quite a while. They didn't need to be there forever. Because actually, if, if some, by some chronologies, Herod died the next year met his maker, got judged for all the evil that he had done without Christ, and they could go back. Those gifts, the wise men had any clue that was what was going to happen? I did. Do you have a clue? You think you do when you give gifts, right? You give to this or that of Christ's work, but God knows what he's going to do with it that's even more or different than what you planned. Just do it. Just, just give it. Debbie was sharing, Allison played this morning, and then a lot of people commented to Debbie outside of the service. Oh, this was a real blessing to me. And Allison says, I had no idea that that was doing that. Debbie said, yeah, you're music ministers to people. You didn't even know it. You're not just filling it in a regular Sunday for Pastor Patterson. I got to pick the hymns, and he needs somebody to play. That is so pedantic, isn't it, to go that route? Pedestrian. Oh, let, let yourself, when you give to Jesus... Daydream about the creativity of the Almighty God who could ricochet it through all of history, the smallest act that you do. And secondly, what I told you, these guys kind of swoop into the Bible and swoop out. David gets chapters. Abraham, chapters, right? Jesus, chapters. They get what? This. One little 12-verse section. But where are we? 2020, studying it, meditating on it, thinking about it, that one journey that seemed like it could have been a waste, has been making mileage for people who see Christ. Who would make those guys come look for Jesus? The Holy Spirit who's calling them to faith in a Savior. Well, that's what Jesus is. Who is Jesus? The Savior. That's who he is. God become man for me. And we get it from the story of the wise men. Their message is still working today and they're a long, long time in heaven. You know why I said that? The message of Christ through your life will work after you're gone a long, long time after you're in heaven. Maybe there'll be, because we're, the Bible's already written, so maybe none of us are going to be in any book anywhere. But... But in the fabric of how things that we believe and teach and 
bounce along from person to person to generation, they'll still be alive because of our life having heralded it long, long time after. Isn't that a neat, comforting feeling for the meaning of your life? Amen.